We've gathered here to share in the silence in a very noisy world. In this sanctuary, we may not hear the noise of the world from the outside, but probably the biggest noise that we hear is in our heads. It follows us, doesn't it? We can't run away from it. We sit down and there it goes, relentless, inexhaustible thought processes. We're fortunate because we have a path, we have a teaching, instructions, a map, the faculties, enough presence of mind, trust, energy. We have mindfulness and we have the wisdom to come and be here to work with these seemingly Niagara-sized obstructions. It takes a lot of patience, courage, and trust. We have to persevere deeply with a commitment to keep working like this, to keep clearing the path, clearing the mind to experience an interior peace that will be resilient. It's good to review and see how we feel. What is the condition of the heart at this moment? What do we feel? We're investigating what we're feeling because it's really important for us to assess the effort that we're making and to adjust. We don't have control over the weather on the outside, but we can work with the weather in the mind. So to review quickly, there are five main obstructions that we all face, and these are the hindrances. It's actually a good thing that they have a name because then we know that it's not personal. Five hindrances, everybody has them. Almost every human being has greed or ill will, experiences anxiety, worry, and restlessness, and boredom, dullness of mind and doubt. Just like when you have a physical illness, you go to the clinic or a physician and you put a name on it. So it's good somehow when it's packaged, we can get our minds around it. Oh, I know what that is. And then we get the right medicine. Once we recognize it, know the form that it takes, then we can contemplate.
each of these hindrances is a form of dukkha, suffering. Knowing they all have a slightly different antidote gives us a possibility to see the condition, the suffering, for what it is, and to remove it. The object of the whole practice is not just to notice that we feel greedy, because then it might just overwhelm the mind. So we try more proactively to use greed as an object of our meditation, being aware of it, that inclines the mind towards freedom from greed. So when we know greed, we can also know the absence of greed, not owning it, not being self-disparaging. Then we don't fall into another form of attachment with a self as some being that is greedy, which is a more dangerous obstacle. Then mindfulness can move the mind in the direction of Nibbana. With every one of these, with ill will, noticing how it arises, removing it, and preventing it from arising again, these are the three modes of activity that are essential for us to enable our sati, our mindfulness, to enable our vidya, our effort, to enable our stillness of mind, our samadhi, and to grow the conditions in the mind for panya to arise, wisdom. But when mindfulness touches the mind state as an object of attention, and we use appropriate, ardent attention, vigilant, continuous attention, then we're not identifying with any person. We're just observing the object. With anger, we can feel heat. With fear, there can be a contraction of the breath, a collapsing, even a choking feeling. We're observing the mind state and seeing the weather pattern arise. And then we can apply the antidotes, bringing up loving kindness when aversion is there applying greater focus when the mind is restless. With boredom, sometimes we have to change postures or use another kind of practice like scanning the body or doing walking meditation. With doubt, we investigate. Actually, with all of the hindrances, we investigate. What is it? just like an archaeologist that digs. These are really wonderful clues when we're mindful and focused and fully aware of our suffering. Not in a personal way, but just examining like a doctor. What happens 
when we go to a doctor and the stethoscope is applied to the heart, do you ever feel your heart start beating a little faster? You may worry that you're going to have high blood pressure. It's not high yet, but in that moment your pressure could go up just because you're being examined. If we are examining our own experience, we can use the inner stethoscope to see what is the state of the heart when the hindrance arises. Are we ducking, cowering, contracting or expanding? Is there joy or not? Is there peace? Is there trembling or pressure? Is there a mind that doesn't tremble? An unshakable heart? One of the benefits of our practice to develop an unshakable heart. When we see the hindrances for what they are, and we know the danger of them, then we're developing the path just as if we were to free ourselves from bondage. In fact, the freedom from the hindrances creates our ability to walk the path with more strength, with fearlessness, with stability. We're not anxious and afraid. We can walk with energy and wakefulness. Freedom from the hindrances is like being free from debt, free from imprisonment, free from slavery, free from danger. A mind that is able to rest in the present moment. It's not jumping into the past and the future. It's not ruminating about the here and now. What can I get? It's just present. Just be with things exactly as they are. That's contentment. That's peace. That's wakefulness. It's a lack of being pulled apart by different desires or having our attention distracted in different directions. That's what we need to walk this path. Just to take one breath at a time properly. Who's breathing? How have we been breathing all these years? You come on retreat and suddenly the hindrances seem to get accelerated. In monastic life, it's the same way. We think we've left the world at the gate, but it follows us right through the gate. Lately, we've taken up this practice of standing for alms in our local farmer's market. 
just like this, and you've got an alms bowl, and you're standing between these stalls where they're selling bags and bottles of jam, maple syrup, cookies, vegetables. People are walking their dogs, meeting up with the locals. And then there are these nuns. Some people try to put money in our bowls, but we don't accept money. What do you mean? What are you doing? What are you collecting? We're collecting food. Meanwhile, your feet are sore, the bowl's heavy, it's hot, we're in the sun. But can we be mindful? Can we observe the bowl and bring the mind to emptiness? Can we notice our tiredness, our discomfort, the heat, all these things and the hindrances? Mara is always ready to jump in and strangle you if you're not mindful. It's a constant practice of bringing one's attention back to the empty bowl, to the people walking by, feeling compassion. There's a lot of old people. You see people in poor health, people who look lonely, sad, looking for conversation. So many things that one can read on people's faces. It's the whole stream of life going by. And then it's our own mind trying to meet that with an open heart and a skillful presence rather than, is anyone ever gonna come and put something in our bowls? As soon as that thought comes, not to follow it, but to come back to being with what's happening, then suddenly the bowl starts to get filled. People bring different kinds of offerings to the point where we have a bag on the ground into which we empty these offerings. By the time we're finished our alms round, we usually have more food than we can eat. I want to share one particular incident that happened last week. This woman was walking by. She was going from vendor to vendor with five little kids following her, all different sizes. I wonder if they were all her children or if maybe she was their foster mother. She appeared to be buying food for all of them. She had lots of bags and soon she filled them and struggled a bit to walk. After she finished shopping, she was handing them little treats to eat. And pretty soon she walked past us and then she looked over and saw us and she asked, what are you collecting? Food, 
food. Who's going to eat it? We are. Oh, immediately she pulled out a giant bread from her shopping bag and offered it to us. I give you my bread, she said with a wide smile on her face. It was the most amazing thing. She was the last person I expected to come towards us with an offering. And she gave us this beautiful specialty bread with palpable love. The process of presenting oneself helpless, relying on the kindness of others, being mindful, faithful, patient, and willing to receive whatever comes, brings these miraculous moments. I share this story with you to encourage you in working with the hindrances. Don't let discouragement turn into another hindrance. Know that every new moment is an opportunity to see the hindrance exactly for what it is and to come back to a state of offering your attention, your presence to this moment, to the beauty that will come. Then we receive the kindness and gifts that arrive. And they will not be there as long as our mind is assailed by hindrances. I've learned through the alms round why should people who are not Buddhists, who don't know anything about what we're doing, approach us and feed us when they're just there for a Saturday morning stroll? They probably don't have a lot of time or a lot of interest, but there's something that touches them when they see the faith with which we stand or walk, something that touches them and opens their hearts. If we can trust this practice, then our ability to trust the present moment will yield a delicious bread that will nurture the next breath and the next step in front of us. It will free us from our greed, our selfishness, our self-concern, our fear, our worry. There are two of us. How are we going to get meals, two meals? Before I was training nuns, I was just one nun. It just keeps happening. This magnificent chemistry. If we can just surrender ourselves to this process and stop identifying 
with the poisons of the ego. These hindrances that have been taking our minds in a direction that does not yield freedom are dangerous. They keep us in a kind of bondage. The world is always posting notes in front of us. Buy this, own a new one, another one, have more, have better. We keep falling for all that over and over again, even as Dhamma practitioners. The level of care, renunciation, wisdom, mindfulness, perspicacity, that's a big word, like being able to see and attend to all the conditions that give rise to our suffering. And the commitment that we need, this is what we have to practice. And a fearlessness to really walk the path. The stakes are high. We need to grow our ability to meet those stakes with the tools the Buddha has given us. Otherwise, we are just going to end up settling for mediocrity. When we get sick, old, when we're alone, when we're depressed, when we feel miserable, discouraged, when we're overwhelmed, when we're made redundant, when something happens that we can't deal with, how are we going to get ourselves out of that? What if the doctor doesn't have a cure? How will we heal our minds? The body is incurable because it's headed for deterioration, decay, dust. That's where the body is going. But the mind can head for freedom. The mind can be free. This is an important distinction to recognize. The true medicine for us is not the cure of the body. The body just wants gratification. But if we could free the mind from that obsession, free the five senses and the untrained mind, then we will be true spiritual warriors. We will win back the boundaries of our hearts. We will be able to accomplish this path of liberation and free ourselves. So I offer you this bread 
for today. Thank you.